Return to Camp Blood, episode 85, The King of Sloths, with Tommy McLaughlin. This episode is brought to you by Friday13Franchise.com. This is cursed. Jason's alive. He killed my friend, now he's coming to me. He's got a death curse. Jason's a legend. I was his warrior, an old friend of the Christie's. Jason belongs in hell. You don't if you stay here. Never come back again. Welcome to another episode of Return to Camp Blood. I'm your host, Chris. Tonight, I bring to you an excellent conversation that Nate had with Tommy McLaughlin, who was the director of Friday 13, Part 6. So, here is that conversation. I'd like to welcome tonight, joining us from all the way out in California, a very special guest, writer and director of Friday the 13th Part 6, Tommy McLaughlin. Uh, thanks for joining us tonight, and how are you doing tonight, sir? Doing great, man. You know, we had some heavy, heavy rains going through here, and so I got, you know, my favorite type of gothic weather, weather with the uh, lightning and storms and stuff, but that it's uh, certainly taking LA and giving it a spin because we're never we're never uh, in this kind of a mode where it rains for like three, four days. So, you know, things flood, hillsides go down and all that, but it looks great. <laughs> what did I say? I, I've heard about that on the weather. Hopefully you're safe and sound where you're at and nothing, uh, nothing too bad's happened to your, to wherever you're at. No, no, we're cool. Okay. Well, good to hear. Well, we'll get right down to business here. Um, one thing I'd like to kick it off with is obviously, as you know, we had a, well, you had a recent, um, 30 year anniversary of part six. Um, just, just, just since that anniversary has passed, um, I noticed that nobody really did, I guess, a a special reunion show at any of the horror conventions or anything like that. We all kind of thought that maybe there would be, but, um, now that that's passed, just reflecting back, you know, over the years, I'm sure that it's, it's great to see your film, you know, with such a great following after, after the years, um, you know, what do you, what are your thoughts in general, you know, now that you have a chance to look back and it's been over 30 years? Yeah, I mean, I is shocked, uh, if not more so, over the fact that 30 years have gone by since, you know, we, we released that film and that it is only kind of built in popularity, um, which, again, shocks me because, as I probably have said before, when I made the film, I wanted to try something a little different and I had, you know, basically carte blanche from Frank Mancuso Jr. to say, you know, look, you know, whatever you'd like to do with this thing, you know, we, we like your style and we want, you know, want you to have the freedom to do whatever. And uh, I wrote this treatment, which is actually in the back of my book, A Strange Idea of Entertainment, also borrowing from the caretaker's line in the movie, um, where, you you know, you can read the actual treatment that basically got me the job. And it's funny, you know, because I had not looked at it until Joe Madri said, you know, why don't we put it in the back of the book? And I was reading it and going, my God, it really is sort of note by note, you know, what I shot, with the exception of um, the motorhome sequence, because when uh, when I wrote the treatment, I wasn't aware of paintball uh, and that whole thing. So basically, they were hunters that were out you know, hunting animals, and uh, so they had real, you know, ammunition and things. And so when Jason took the guy down and took all of his, you know, commando shit, uh, one of those things was uh, an Uzi. So the motorhome sequence was not so much taking Darcy DeMoss's face and ramming it into the into the wall and sticking an ear, sticking a knife in Tom Fridley's ear. It was a full-on, you know, Uzi blasting that place apart and, and them with it. But, you know, when I started to, you know, work on the script, I went, you know what, this is not right for Jason. I don't know what the hell I'm thinking. You know, he can't have a friggin' gun. And I also tried very much on that film to make sure that all the kills were superhuman. I mean, something that you, you, you know, a human just couldn't imitate uh, being that, you know, punching out a heart or twisting the head all the way around and dropping, you know, pulling it out. And, um, you know, I wanted to, to take away anything that would be as simple as 
you know, some somebody with an Uzi. So that was, you know, removed. But other than that, the treatment pretty much, you know, shows exactly, you know, what got me the job. And um, then to kind of fast forward all the way 30 years later and having people say, God, we really love that. I mean, that was the one that, you know, kind of got us into the genre because they saw it on uh, DVD or, or on VHS and because our box office wasn't wasn't really as great as we were all were hoping. And I think part of that was that the movie got very rushed into production. There wasn't any time, you know, much at all from part five to part six. And building up that kind of momentum, building up the fact that some of the fans who were disappointed that it wasn't Jason in part five, you know, some of that would have probably been forgotten. But there were still a lot of people feeling like they got burned and they did not want to see a movie that didn't include Jason. So this, you know, it took time for the film to sort of build its its audience. So they hit 30 years and everybody was going, yeah, we got to do something big. And there was, you know, very serious talk that we were going to do an outdoor screening at the camp um, in uh, Georgia, which would have been very cool. Um, and, uh, you know, have everybody come and actually camp out and have a bunch of the you know, celebrities and things from the movie and, uh, you know, bring, bring it really into like a, you know, all night party for the movie, but it just became too cost prohibitive, you know, to, to make that happen. And I think everybody else was sort of looking at one another to, to, you know, pick up the ball and do it. And as a result, nothing ever happened. So I don't know, you know, wait till 35 years. I don't care. It's the, you know, I still happy that the movie is getting very, very well, uh, talked about over all these years and uh, we just had a very cool article in uh, GQ magazine last Friday which of course was Friday the 13th and you know that also made me feel great that it's still being appreciated for it being a kind of a satire comedy with a little more story and that Jason has a definite agenda in that movie very much unlike the other ones. So all in all, it's been great. We did have one screening actually in Dallas, Texas, that kind of celebrated the 30 years. Um, and but it wasn't, you know, like just everybody, you know, from the movie and things, which would have been great. You know, we could have got everybody together. But yeah, I was I was really anticipating an anniversary. I thought, you know, with the 30 year coming up, you know, somebody's surely going to, you know, try to do some type of reunion. So it was. A, I kind of thought it was unfortunate, so we'll see what happens with the 35 and just kind of hope that maybe they'll do a reunion for that. Yeah, well, you know, it's part of like, and I don't hope I'm not stepping on anybody's political views, but it's sort of like how Trump got into office. Everybody expected like, no, this isn't going to happen, so why even bother voting? What's the big deal? Next thing, turn around, and it's like, you know what? It's happened. So I think the same thing with this thing. Everybody was sort of going, yeah, well, somebody's got to do that, you know. I can wait. To, I can hardly wait to hear about it, and it never happened. You know, everybody was kind of looking at somebody else to do it because they're they're big deals to put together. I mean, I, I I really admire all the people that do the conventions and stuff because it is not easy. And having been involved with a few you know horror conventions that you know went down before they happened, and you know fans getting ripped off or people you know coming expecting to see all these people that are going to autograph their stuff and, you know, they've traveled great distances, you know, for their loyalty to the movies and these, you know, the, the people in them and then to be disappointed, you know, so it's, there's a lot of pressure on the, on the promoters and the people who put those things together. So like, as I said, with the one that was hoping to go in, uh, you know, at uh, the name of Camp Morgan, I think is the name of that camp that we shot at. Uh, yes, you know, yes. to orchestrate all that stuff. And then, you know, of course, you got to have liquor licenses and stuff because nobody's going to want to be out there without, you know, some tasty brew. So it's, you know, it, it's just a hard thing, you know, to, to do. And anything smaller than that, I think it it, it didn't kind of make sense, you know, that people wanted to really go for it if we're going to do it. But uh, as I said, I, you know, you, you miss one particular decade and, you know, you can, you know, pick it up later. I, I'm, I, I, at this point, I cannot see, especially with another Jason movie coming out this year, that you know the franchise is going to you know stop. It's just going to have to keep, hopefully, reinventing itself in ways that aren't going to disappoint the fans and are somehow going to be you know cool and and obviously 
you know, box office for the people that are putting in the money and putting in all the uh, the publicity to try to make you know these things into an event, which is what I think they should be. Oh, absolutely. And I'm glad that you brought up the new film. Um, just in general, you know, obviously you've wrote and directed one. Um, what are your thoughts on what you've heard about the new film so far? Well, it's interesting because, you know, there hasn't been a whole lot said. Um, I, you know, for years, ever since, well, in fact, as soon as I finished my Friday, the first thing out of Frank Manguso's mouth was, hey, you want to do another one? And I went, you know, geez, I don't know. I don't know what I would do um, right now. I just have no idea of how to, how to do something different from what I just did. And he said, uh, what about, you know, Jason versus Freddy? And I went, are you kidding? And he goes, no. And I said, how, how, would, you, how would Paramount do that with New Line owning Freddy? And he goes, well, you know, we're thinking they might. So we're going to check into it. But would you be interested? And I go, let me think about that, because that's like two different realms. That would be very challenging to figure out. But, yeah, you know, I'm certainly open to the idea. And as it turned out, you know, New Align wasn't ready to, you know, make that kind of agreement. They were already into, uh, I guess it was part four. And I went in to interview for that. And uh, because, again, I was I love Freddie. I thought it could be fun. But they were already shooting, I think, two or three units on it, and I hadn't even got a director yet. And I was one of those guys, and I guess still am, that, like, look, the director has to be responsible for everything. If it works, you know, you know, he gets credit with all the people that helped him make it work, and if it doesn't work, he gets all the blame, and everybody else is not guilty. So it's like if I go into something, I, I go in with that. You know, I want everybody to get you know, good kudos for doing this, but I certainly don't want to be torn apart for something that I had nothing to do with. So, you know, in, in the long run, I, I, you know, can't say I regret that decision, but it certainly, you know, helped Rennie Harlan's career by jumping in there and doing that thing and, and uh, kind of, you know, really was the, uh, the thing I think that kind of kicked him into, into high gear in the, in the future world. But um, as far as the new one, I, you know, the only thing that I'm very, very, very curious about is the, uh, the mother, uh, Jason's mother, and his father. And that was two things that I had brought into mind, as some of the fans know, um, that I wanted to you know, bring in Jason's father. And uh, had that in the script and was planning on shooting that. And then basically Frank said to me, Look, the fans are so pissed off that they thought the next movie was going to be, you know, Tommy Jarvis as Jason, that if you end the movie with Jason's father, there's going to be people going, oh, shit, you mean Jason's dad is going to take over and it's not going to be him? And I went, you know, that's a good point. You know, you can't, if you go out on that note, that's kind of what you're going to say, or it's, you know, father and son, you know, murdering team or something. So um, now they're going to embrace that, and I'm curious which way they're going to go with it, um, if it's going to be kind of like the comic uh, was, uh, which was, what do they call that thing? Uh, Pamela's something. There was a, a, like an EC kind of comic book on it and uh, of Jason's mom. So I don't know if they're going to kind of go that direction and the father being this big, you know, brutish kind of guy. Um, I had... Yet another way I wanted to go with it, which just so happens will be in Friday the game, Friday the 13th, the game that's coming out this year, is that um, I was hired, obviously, most people know, you know, Sean Cunningham's involved and Harry Manfredini and Tom Savini and, and of course, Kane Hodder doing the Jason thing. And it is violent as fuck. I've never seen anything so friggin' violent because of what they can get away with, with uh, CGI stuff now and... and uh, just, you know, motion capturing uh, Kane and then just putting in the most horrible kills. But I had the uh, privilege of basically creating some backstory um, literally about interviewing Mrs. Voorhees, you know, literally the day after Jason uh, drowned or did he drowned. Um, and what, you know, I'm trying to see if I can kind of take the mythology and bring it a little more around into something that could be interesting to the fans and also the relationship with the father. Who was his father? Is there, 
you know, is, is what we've been hearing the truth, or is there yet another version, uh, which is what I'm going to put into these, these uh, it's like a radio play, you know, there's something that you hit, and it's, uh, you know, it's dialogue, because it's tapes, it's like the police interviewing Mrs. Voorhees, and, uh, you know, I think it came out pretty cool, I mean, I, I, they got a great woman who's doing uh, Pamela's uh, voice, sounds just like, you know, Betsy Palmer, and, um, you know, it, it. I think, you know, it'll be a fun thing, you know, while you're playing the game to have that little time to also get some interesting backstory. And uh, we'll see what, again, like when I, when I did Jason Lives, we'll see how the fans feel about, you know, what my imagination is about all that. And, because uh, you know, we obviously are creating the legend as it goes, as it goes along over the years. And, you know, it just, to me, as long as it's scary, as long as it's something that has some something that's grounded in, yeah, that could happen. And then at the same time, you know, I myself am guilty of, you know, hitting him with a lightning bolt and turning him into, you know, an unstoppable walking dead. So, you know, you the thing did go off from what was considered to be, you know, a guy, a guy into something, you know, far more unstoppable as a monster. But the backstory, again, I, I always think is important that you, you know, keep that kind of grounded in some sense of, yeah, that could happen. That's logical. Um, and again, that's my, my feeling about any, any good monster. There's something about it you can relate to. But yeah, um, you know, I heard that you were attached to the video game. Um, my co-host Eric and I, we got to spend some time with the guys from Gun Media at Scarefest uh, back in September in Lexington. You know, Kane yeah. was there, CJ was there, you know, some of the other people involved, uh, Harry Manfredini, um, you know, so we got to hear a little bit about that. So we're definitely, definitely looking forward, you know, definitely looking forward to the game. That's going to be a great addition, you know, especially with the, with the new film, you know, coming out. So yeah. uh, it's always, it's always nice to hear, you know, other people's thoughts on that. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've over the years, because, you know, people would say, you know, if they approached you, would you want to do another Friday? And for many years I said, no. Because again, I couldn't think of anything that um, would 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 take it someplace else. Um, but then that whole notion, which was one of the things that kind of went around for a while, um, that what about a Friday in the snow? You know, take oh yes, Crystal Lake, and yeah, and have that's been kicked be around numerous blizzard. times. Yeah, and uh, that that really attracted me because I thought. You know, how cool it would be to see his breath coming through the holes in that mask, how great it would be to, you know, be tracking, you know, tracking him or so you think or him tracking you. And you got the footprints, you know, in the snow. And, of course, needless to say, you know, blood and snow are going to look really good together. So there's just a lot of things that I thought, you know, that might be worth doing if something like that could happen. But I don't know. You know, um, if they're going to embrace any of that on this one, I've not heard. I, I kind of doubt it. But um, and the thing of found footage, I never thought was a particularly great idea, uh, just because that has been so done and done and done, and people have done so many you know incredible things with it. I just don't. <laughs> I just don't know how it could be. You know, really as frightening as, as the whole Jason kind of, you know, first person point of view at times and all that of just somebody that's got a camera and trying to, you know, capture him. So I was sort of glad when, you know, when that didn't happen, but, um, you know, I'm looking forward to see what these guys come up with and I hope it's not, you know, too slick or too, too much of a uh, movie that doesn't feel like it's somehow grounded in that, you know, 70s, 80s tradition, because there's something about kind of getting that vibe to me that that's important. Um, but we'll see. You know, I'm I'm certainly open-minded to see whatever they whatever they come up with creatively. Yeah, I, I definitely am too. I'm glad they're not doing the found fo the found footage aspect either. Um, you know, there's bouncing talk back and forth. You know, are they going to continue from the 2009 film, or are they going to bounce it back to the 80s? it seems to be uh, the consensus now is that they're going to kind of bounce it back and do a retro film, um, which I think is great. You know, there's a lot of stuff that's still untouched there. Um, but do you feel that way? Do you think they should, you know, back it up a little bit, or do you think they should continue forward with Derek Mears' version of Jason in the 2009 film? As I, as I said, it, it to me, there shouldn't be any, like, 
well, it would be much better to do it this way or be much better to do it that way. In, in my world, it's like, come up with something cool and let's see if we dig it. I mean, it's like, I don't know. It's like if, you, if, if, if you're trying to, if it's too obvious that they're trying to make something, you know, feel like it happened, you know, back then and it doesn't work, you know, there'd be that thing about, eh, you know, that's, it just didn't feel right. At the same time, you know, it's like if, it, if you feel like you got, you know, as Quentin does so many times, uh, you know, or Robert Rodriguez, you know, they'll do things that are definitely throwbacks to, you know, decades ago. And they, they love, you know, the genre so much that it, it just kind of, it's sort of winking at you a little bit, you know, as my film did with, you know, just the whole idea of slasher films and things in general. But you know, the bottom line is it's got to be entertaining. It's got to have some sort of, you know, fun aspect to it that, that's enjoyable to, to, to watch it go down. And to me, it's ultimately about character. You know, if we, if we care about the people involved, you know, in the story and things, and we're kind of rooting for them and hoping, you know, they're going to come up with something in, that they think is going to be the way to stop Jason or to get away from Jason or whatever, you know, I'm all for that. So it really kind of, you know, I'm very open about what, which, which way they go with it. It's just when it becomes, like, as we were saying about the found footage thing, you know, that's a very distinctive way of doing it. I mean, if somebody could, and it probably would never fly, but if somebody made one in black and white, could be very interesting. And I, you know, when I shot my Friday, I made it very contrasty. So when we would watch it, you know, in the editing room, I would turn the screen to black and white and just see if it looked really cool because of my great love of universal horror movies and things. I wanted this movie to, you know, look cool if it was a black and white film as well. So if somebody did that, I'm sure they would never okay it because, you know, people say, why the hell are you doing that just for the gimmick of it? I don't know. If there's some way of doing it that made it even more intense by doing it that way, um, you know, I, I certainly thought Sin City was one of the you know, most innovative things I saw, the way you know, Robert handled that thing. So, it's, again, it's always looking for, you know, the best idea, you know, whatever that is. Oh, absolutely. And you had mentioned, you know, the throwback stuff a couple times. And obviously, you know, uh, some of the kills in part six and some of the throwbacks that we see, you know, the Karloff on the sign and whatnot. Um, you know, what I, I guess, was there any specific inspiration to any of the, the Jason kills or anything that we see with Jason? Is there anything that is there a specific film or monster that inspired you more than the other for some of that stuff that we've seen? Not really. Um in a, it's like I had to watch all the movies, obviously, because I wanted to. I wanted to see what had been done, and hopefully not go exactly down that path. You know, years later, I realized, oh shit, you know, that is kind of similar to mine. Did I pick that up subconsciously? Because it certainly wasn't conscious, you know. Or is it just like there's only so many ways you can <laughs> kill somebody? Um, and what mine, you know, my objective was that they were superhuman, you know, which is something that I felt that Jason hadn't quite done yet. And we had the license to get away with that because obviously he's brought back to life, you know, with a lightning bolt. So having C.J. Graham playing Jason was also an incredible bonus because, you know, C.J. had, you know, come out of the, the service and he was like, a, you know, a soldier, you know, a, a you know, he was there to follow orders. And in this case, it was like a, a kind of a supernatural, you know, drill sergeant having this guy go through the paces and he executed everything and all the moves were crisp and precise. And, you know, it, it, he wasn't like this lumbering kind of Jason, which we'd seen before. Um, and he moved at a good pace, but, you know, he wasn't a running zombie either. So it, it was trying to take that what what he was as well as what I wanted the, the character to be and then say, all right, if he grabs your head, he's going to squish it, you know, or he's going to, you know, if he picks up a, uh, a spear, you know, not as he's just going to stab you, he's going to pick you up and throw you over the back of his, his shoulder, you know, or, you know, the way he stabbed, uh, you know, Nancy in the puddle, same thing. It's not just a stab. It's like put the head down in there and pin her, you know, underwater. So, you know, it kept, as I said, looking for something that was like, 
horrific and yet little sense of humor about it or a little, you know, kind of over-the-top execution. Um, but there wasn't anything where I went, oh, I saw this kill, I want to imitate that. It, it really was just coming off the top of my head of where it was going to go. And I think my, my proudest kind of image in the movie is the one with Jason standing on top of the motor home, uh, you know, like a you know, warrior who just, you know, killed the, you know, caveman who just killed the dinosaur and standing there in flames looking around the side of it. And he's just like, yeah, you know, I got him. And that, that image, for one, it was the last image, the last thing we shot in the, uh, in the shoot. And the sun was just starting to come up. If you look at the film, you can just see the sky starting to turn blue. So it was done as quick as we could get it before, you know, losing the, the dark. And the fact that the way CJ stood and you know, got up out of there and, the, you know, the fact that we didn't kill the stunt man who was driving that thing, because that was another big fear, because this, this wasn't a normal kind of stunt that he was doing. We didn't know if that thing was going to collapse, even though it was very well reinforced. So, you know, when I see that image, there's so much that went in to make that happen. And I just think it, you know, kind of just says something different in terms of, you know, Jason as a you know, superior monster. Oh, absolutely. I I just think you executed everything really well in the entire film. Part six is definitely uh, my favorite, you know, part six and part three. Those are my top two in, in the franchise. I just I love the film and everything about it. I think it was just very well done. Um, the, you know, mention of a lot of people like to mention, I guess, the dark comedy side of it. And, you know, um, I guess I look at it as the question that I would have for you is that, is that your personality and your humor coming out in that, or was that a group effort with the production team? No, that's purely me. Um, you know, I'd take for, you know, if you hate, if you hate it, hate me, if you love it, you know, you can love me. But yeah, I, I really felt after one dark night, which is my first feature film, we got in, um, I say we, cause it's my cause and I, that, you know, kind of collaborated on that, uh, the, putting the story together and the kinds of things that we wanted in there. And then I, you know, went ahead and wrote the screenplay. Um, but we, we've had a lot of like lingo and things that the girls in one dark night said, and I wanted to carry that over into, um, my Friday where there would be some kind of wise ass, you know, expressions and things. But more than that, I, you know, I have years of background in comedy and I wasn't so much interested in making, a horror movie that was like the last horror movie I did, you know, a gothic horror thing. I wanted to try to do something that was much more kind of personal to me and that, you know, the movies that I loved were always ones that had elements of humor in it and yet you still kind of took the villain seriously and the humor that the characters had only made you like them so that if they got killed, it's like, ah, I kind of like that guy. I mean, you know, I'm not too happy that he's gone, but he went out on a great, you know, in a great way. So it's, it's a kind of a fun house approach to the movie that you don't know what's going to be around the corner as you, you know, travel on this, this road. And at the same time, you know, I wanted it to be entertaining in a way that it wasn't just waiting for the next kill. You know, if the kill was great, people were happy. If it wasn't, it's like, eh. But with comedy, you know, as I know from years of doing that, boy, if you fall flat with comedy, you have nothing. I mean, so the better ones really have a strong story and strong characters, and then the humor hopefully comes out of both of those things rather than just jokes and gags. Um, so I, I tried to make sure that, you know, Things had a lot of in-jokes, you know, referenced uh, uh, Carpenter, uh, Cunningham, obviously Karloff, you know, wherever I could put it in. My, you know, good friend Mick Garris, you know, just, just there's, you know, there was lots of little references like that, which were, you know, fun for me to put in. And then for people that over the years, you know, have picked them up, it's like, oh, is that who that? Okay, that's great. So there was a lot of that, you know personal touches and, uh, you know, humor was a big part of it and adding the kids. I have a great affinity for children. And I thought, you know, we haven't seen that happen where kids actually came to the camp. So I wanted the, at least some of the audience to go, he is not going to kill one of those kids, is he? Um, so that there was at least that, 
that, okay, I'm going to stick around just to see if he's going to pull that off or not. But to me, my intention never was to have that occur. They they were just kind of, you know, the the most vulnerable thing that's out there in that little girl, Nancy in particular, that kind of tied into her nightmares and she was the one who saw the monster. And, um, you know, and that is, again, throwback to the more innocent days of, of horror movies where there was somehow a child, you know, involved in some some aspect of it, whether the kid went dark, like, you know, the, like the, the type, you know, Damien and, you know, Children of the Damned and those kinds of things, you know, or if it was like the sweet little boy, uh, Dr. Frankenstein's son, you know, and the uh, uh, son of Frankenstein, you know, that little boy I always loved as a kid, you know, identified that he could walk over and take Frankenstein's hand, you know, there was that that kind of innocence. Um, so it really, you know, there's so many things that influenced me as a kid growing up on horror movies that it's like, as I said, sometimes I, I don't see the influences themselves. Other times I went, yeah, that's kind of, you know, Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein, and I, you know, loved that. And I thought, too, if I, had, I was going to do Jason and Freddy, there would have to be, you know, that kind of a notion. And in fact, it, when we realized we couldn't do Jason versus Freddy, I said to Frank, you guys at Paramount have Cheech and Chong, right? I said, what about Cheech and Chong me, Jason? And he goes, no, nah, I don't think so. And I go, oh, come on. They could be in the, you know, they're camping out, they're getting stoned and stuff. And it's like, hey, what if that's Jason out there? You know, I think there could be a lot of really fun things. He goes, no, nah, Cheech and Chong fans are going to want to see a Cheech and Chong movie. And the horror fans, you know, it, it, they're not going to think this is going to, we're going to be taking Jason seriously. So, I, he's a, you know, you, you did the comedy in this one. Let's, you know, let's move on. But I still, you know, think it could have been, you know, pretty entertaining. Oh, absolutely. Either way, you did a great job with all of it. You know, uh, there's so okay. many things that, you know, that we could comment on as far as that goes. Okay. So one question I do have is I've kind of heard a couple other people talking about this and I figured I'd just go ahead and throw it out there. Now, your version of Tommy Jarvis is more of a, I guess, a lead character role compared to what we've seen in part five with John Shepard. Um, maybe you could elaborate a little bit on what drew you to having Tommy in the role that he had in your film. Well, I I always believe two things, you know, one, there's got to be somebody who initiates the problem, you know, and the problem obviously was Jason coming back from the grave that everybody had to contend with. And even though the town had been in kind of denial and even changed the name of the town in hopes that, you know, it'd be forgotten, you know, Tommy comes along and, you know, in in his need to see that Jason definitely is dead and gone and all that, you know, he inadvertently brings him back. So now Jason has an agenda. I'm going to get this son of a bitch that brings me back from the grave and anybody in my way or just happens to be crossing in my, in my radar goes down. And so he had a purpose. And at the same time, Tommy, you know, was the guy who has to figure out how do I stop him? You know, I brought him back. How do I stop him? And I, kind of used him as the, you know, catalyst to, you know, introduce, you know, the sheriff, obviously sheriff's daughter falls, you know, gets a heavy crush on him. And you know, I can't say she fell in love with him right away, but certainly there was something there. And then making the woman strong. I mean, the, you know, the mandatory blonde that is in these, these movies, um, probably coming from Hitchcock and his, his blonde as, as well as that she had to me spunk, and um, sense of humor and could kind of take over when she needed to take over. I mean, she was, was the one driving the car. She ultimately is the one that, you know, makes us feel like that was Jason's demise. You know, Tommy got him to the bottom of the lake, but, you know, it seemed like he died in that attempt. And then she goes out to try to save her, her man, and then it looks like she's going to go down until, you know, she uses the outboard motor to stop him. Uh, not kill him, but certainly stop him. So both of those kind of work together, you know, villain, girl, and, you know, hero. And, you know, for some people, Jason's always going to be the hero, the anti-hero. You know, for my purposes, I love you know, when you think it's going to be the girl that's going to be victimized, and you know, and we've come to accept that genre thing that, the, you know, the last girl is always the one that, you know, you're kind of a rooting for. 
and then have a hero that, you know, he's doing, he started the problem, he did everything he could to solve the problem, but then ultimately, you know, the girl helped save him. So there was just story points that I tried to, to put in there, as well as, you know, introducing characters like the paintballers and stuff that were there for, you know, comic reasons, and at the same time, you know, gave us more kind of un- unbelievably over-the-top kills, like, you know, a triple decapitation and things, which is sad that that effect, which the visual effects people did so incredibly well, where you saw that, you know, uh, machete go through those necks and they see the heads all drop, one, two, three, but the uh, ratings board cut out. But um, Tommy Jarvis, yeah, has kind of become... Because of the first movie, the uh, you know introduced him you know with Corey and then obviously John Shepard and then now you know with with uh, Tommy. I if I was to do another Jason movie, I've definitely got ideas about continuing both him and Megan in a whole different capacity. Um, because again, I I like that through line and I like when you know you see characters uh, in a franchise that you hadn't seen in a long time show up. And um, it's kind of exciting. I don't know, again, if they're going to tap upon that in the new film. I kind of doubt it. But the game, they definitely went to Tom Matthews. And, you know, Tommy Jarvis is in that, you know, is in the game and looking just like, you know, Tom Matthews. So I I was very complimented by that and very happy that, you know, Tom is a part of that. Because amazing, cool guy, you know, as is... CJ, who I'm very happy is going to go out on the, you know, convention circuit again, and people are going to get to see him actually in the Jason, you know, uh, wardrobe and everything, which is really cool. Yes, he definitely has some appearances, you know, coming up, and uh, we've spoke with him recently about that, and he kind of gave us all the details of what people can expect for the convention season coming up the this coming year, uh, which will yeah. beginning be beginning very very shortly. So yeah, we've been yeah. CJ and I have been talking about seeing if we could, you know, like actually collaborate on some of these things too, uh, which I would love to do because I I love going to the conventions and lots of times some you know people go oh you must be so busy and it's like no nah, never too busy for the people that want to you know meet and talk about the movie and stuff because it it was a huge turning point in my career and I have great affection for all the people that were involved in the movie because we we really had fun and if you see the Camp Crystal Lake um, memories that that video. I mean, you can. I, I don't know how long they gave us in, for that chapter, the resurrection, um, talking to everybody. I want to say like forty minutes or something. But everybody just kind of gushed on about how much fun it was, and that to me was what I wanted it to be. Plus, you know, casting people and crew that really, you know, we were there to really enjoy the experience and not, you know, make it horrible even though the conditions how cold it was and all that were tough you know we 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 were gonna make this into a you know a fun adventure yeah and like i said i i cj did make some mention you know about the two of you getting together and hopefully that you know that can happen you know definitely at least once if not more this year um i know that from attending a lot of shows myself and being involved in a lot of different things there's definitely a demand for you out there and without giving away you know any other you know, details or whatnot, I, I think it's probably safe to say that people will, will see out and about soon. Yeah, I, I'm hoping so. Um, yeah, there's, there's definitely a demand with the autograph market. I know your 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 autograph is available on a couple different websites, but obviously people like that personal experience. Yeah, I, and so do I. I mean, I, I, I really do love the fact that, you know, to look at, you know, somebody in the eyes and have them, you know, tell me, what their first experience was like with the movie or what it means to them. And, uh, you know, I recently did a lecture about it with about horror movies and things and that in particular. And, you know, I started pulling out some of the merchandising thing and I go, you know, it's really great to make a movie and it's even better when the movie is successful. And it's even better when it goes on 30 years later and it's actually more, you know, beloved than, than you ever imagined it could be. And then, all this merchandising from little bobblehead things, you know, to kids' dolls to, you know, these really cool things that was it Neko, uh, the company that makes made the really great Jason, you know, figures and just the detail and you know, you look at these things and I go, yeah, I remember when I thought of that or this. Obviously, there's no money 
from the standpoint of being the guys that come up with it. It's all for the people that merchandise them and things. But it doesn't matter if the fan just loves it and it has makes them you know happy and gets them excited about seeing you know the next movie in the series. You know, it, it keeps this thing going and it's you know it's certainly I wouldn't say high entertainment, but it's certainly for a, a, its crowd and for the people who love horror movies. You know, it is it is a lot of fun. Absolutely. There's tons of collectibles out there, you know, everything from posters and figures and machetes and masks and shirts, et cetera, et cetera. All great stuff, you know, uh, and new stuff comes out all the time. So it's definitely one of those things where, you know, Jason really never does die. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, just to get into some other stuff, um, I know you you're obviously a busy guy. We appreciate the time that you take to to join us tonight. So I would just like to talk about some of the stuff that you have coming up with the sloths. I know you're obviously, you know, I don't know if, if I would call it touring around, but obviously you're doing more shows. Um, I know you, you know, just did a show last weekend and you obviously have more coming up. So what, uh, what can we expect to see from the sloths coming up this year? Yeah. Well, for maybe some of the people who don't know, yeah, I, I, was part of a kind of another resurrection, another back from the grave, literally is the title of our album, um, that uh, five years ago, uh, somebody hired a private detective and found all of us who were still alive that were in the band, you know, the Sloths or any offshoots of the Sloths from the mid-60s when we opened for The Doors and Iron Butterfly and Pink Floyd and Love and The Seeds and all these groups. And, you know, we were, you know, in our mid-teens and, you know, jump 45 years later, you know, I'm behind the camera, you know, making films and stuff. Another guy's a lawyer, another guy's, uh, you know, a plumber. And suddenly we, you know, we get pulled out of hiding um, to do these interviews about this song, Making Love, that was on a compilation and kind of became a kind of an underground garage band hit. So from that, we decided well, shit, let's get back in the garage and, you know, which we did and just kind of do the old songs when when we were like in the mid 60s, you know, doing the songs of the Stones and Animals and, you know, Kinks and Beatles, whatever, and just see what happens. And for about almost, I guess, almost half a year, you know, we kind of continued to do this uh, you know, just playing around on a Wednesday night, like boys poker night. And then somebody said, well, you want to, you know, open for a band in San Diego? And we said, yeah, you know, maybe if they throw shit at us, it'd be funny. What the hell? So he got up there and just to our shock, just the exact opposite happened where people thought it was, you know, really cool and loved that we had more energy and passion, you know, at our ages than they would have ever expected. Cause you know, obviously we didn't have the time like the stones have had to build the, you know, the kind of, act that they do for as long as they've done it so we kind of hit the ground running and here we are five years later with the album back from the grave the sloths back from the grave that's out there um incredibly well done music video um that uh of our song one way out which is on youtube and um we got uh finally we're going to go be on vinyl with the album that's coming out which i think is just so amazing because that's obviously how everything was done back in the day and now everything is, is streamed and things, but they actually have an album that we can sign at the conventions and, you know, concerts and stuff that we play. And we've been, you know, kind of all over the United States, except for the East Coast, um, hoping to pair up uh, with uh, Ari Lehman, you know, in what I think he's calling like the Demon Tour with different people that were part of the Friday um, group and see if we can actually do some shows there. And for a lot of people that might not know, I mean, I kind of do a very Alice Cooper type voice for the man behind the mask. So when either I'll do in a convention, you know, they bring in a band and I'll do that and Monster Mash and, you know, I put a spell on you or any things that are kind of horror related as well as the Sloth songs all have very kind of dark undertones, you know, I want a new life and lust and, you know, uh, just things that really make them love, you know, that have a much more kind of punky, heavy metal, and yet very 60s R&B, you know, feel to them. So, yeah, we've been we've been very fortunate that have had, a, you know, a lot of shows, and, you know, we really love getting out there and, you know, put, putting on a show, and I've I've got, you know, blood, I electrocute myself, there's, you know, there's lots of little kind of funny 
self-destructive things that go on within the show as well as, you know, changing costumes for certain things that, you know, give the audience a sense of what a show band in the 60s was like, which is, you know, what we're from. Yeah, I've seen your your recent music video. I've seen uh, some other videos of you, you know, doing the man behind the mask, and it definitely is representative of Alice. Um, and I, I just look forward to what you know what what you guys have you know coming down the road, whether it be any more new material or just kind of reviving the past. No, no, we've got you know we have a whole album's worth of of new material actually that uh, we have you know coming out. Um, we have not recorded it yet. We've been sort of waiting for a, a break where we can actually get in and spend some time, you know, in the studio, as we did with the first album. And um, you know, it, it's just a question of yeah, of, of time putting it together. We we lost a member and just have a new guy, you know, that just joined us, and uh, he uh, wasn't part of the original Sloss, but he's out of the same era, and he was in. Um, Blue Cheer, and he was in Steppenwolf and um, Hollywood Stars, um, and he's definitely got the whole exact vibe that you know that we have of guys that basically are saying you know nothing's going to kill rock and roll, and we're the proof of that because we're jumping in you know late in life and showing you it doesn't matter how old you are if it's you know in your DNA you know we want to express it. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I, I love what you guys do. I'm definitely looking forward, you know, to hearing what you put out next. Um, and just real quick before we let you go, um, I know that you knew Alice, you know, back when he was Vincent, you know, when yeah. you guys were doing stuff in your teens and whatnot. Um, now, now, how much of, of the past relationship led you to choosing Alice for the music in part six? Or was it because of his, you know, shock rock uh you know, style at that point in time, is that what led you to choose him for the soundtrack of six or was it more so a, a past relationship or a combination? No, I wish I could take credit for that. Um, because had I thought of it, I certainly would have, you know, voiced it, but we, you know, so busy putting the cut together and I knew I wanted to have rock and roll music in there and we were temping it with, you know, different things. And then, Frank Mancuso said, what do you think of the idea of, of Alice doing this? And I went, are you kidding? And, of course, I gave him the backstory that, you know, we played together when he was in a group called the Naz and hung out at Frank Zappa's house, you know, with him and, and stuff. But I'm sure he wouldn't remember. And, you know, most of us don't have very good memories of a lot of the stuff because we were all in a haze, purple haze. And uh, But I said, yeah, if that could happen. And I, I guess they had, you know, Alice's, uh, I guess, career had kind of slowed down and for whatever reason and so you know that whole thing i think it was the constrictor album you know coming out uh, had these other songs which he said you know whatever you like so you know i loved you know teenage frankenstein and um hard rock summer so you know we actually got all those as well as him uh writing man behind the mask so you know i've yet I've yet to see him face to face after thirty something years. You know, there was a couple times where I, he was going to try to make it to a screening that we were having with the cast and stuff, but you know, with the touring, uh, he wasn't able to get away. So that's that's still a meeting yet to yet to happen. Oh wow! Well, hopefully that's something that maybe the convention circuit will allow coming up soon. Yeah, that that would be cool. I know I'd sure be be thrilled to. You know, and actually, you know, and then I get a lot of in my show get a lot of comparisons to Alice, and I never actually saw Alice perform as Alice until maybe two years ago. Um, finally, got got you know I would see bits and pieces on um, you know on YouTube's and stuff, but I never actually saw him in concert, or you know, still haven't seen Iggy Pop. And the two people that I'm constantly getting, you know, oh yeah, you're doing one of those, and it's like, no, I'm kind of doing what I did in the '60s where. I was blowing shit up on stage or throwing myself into the audience or doing, you know, kind of outrageous things, which was all of us trying to, you know, do something that we learned that The Who, you know, was showing us or Arthur Brown. And, you know, there were a lot of, you know, very showy performers in those days that made the rock and roll, you know, the background to theatrics, which is what I always loved. But, you know, no one's done it better than Alice. Um, and you know, when I go back now and look at, you know, old tapes and stuff of him, I go, oh, my God, he really, he really came up with stuff that, you know, I would have loved to have done back in those days. 
Um, but yeah, he's, you know, he's the man. Yeah, he was definitely a pioneer in the shock rock. There's no doubt about that. I love his stuff. Um, like yeah. I said, it would be a great photo op, you know, for you guys. Uh, maybe that's something that they can make happen. You know, us fans can hope anyway. Yeah, I, I hope so too. Okay, well, thanks, Tom. You know, I appreciate all your time tonight. We definitely have been looking forward to having you on the show. Um, like I said, it was one of those we we kind of been waiting, and uh, we finally got to speak with you. So I just wanted to thank you for your time and appreciate you joining us. Well, I really had a great time, and uh, thank you for you know the questions, and you know, thank you guys out there who have been supporting the movie for all these years, and uh, you know, I can't I can't tell you how wonderful it makes me feel going to the conventions and stuff and having people say you know wow yours is my favorite or wow with this particular sequence or whatever i mean it it it, it never never stops making the creators of any kind of a film or any kind of artistic thing more happy than to hear people really dug it so um thank you guys Absolutely. People always love to hear from the guys behind the camera, just like they do, you know, from the actors and the men behind the mask. So, you know, uh, once again, thank you. And uh, maybe one of these days down the road, we'll have you back on again. That would be great. I'm, I'm around just hanging in Hollywood, you know. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thanks again, Tom. We appreciate it. All right, man. Take care. Well, all right, please rate, review, and subscribe wherever the fuck you listen to the show. If you want to support us financially, head over to campbloodpodcast.com slash donate. If you have a question or a theory, you can hit us up on the contact tab on the website or comment on the show notes at campbloodpodcast.com slash 85. Also, please consider checking out some of the other shows on the Astro Panda umbrella, uh, which you can find at astropandaproductions.com. Uh, special thanks goes out to the Downriver Rat for intro and outro music. You can check his stuff out at thedownriverrat.com. Until next time. <laughs>